Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Economic inequality impacts many parts of our society, including the playing field. The number of youth participating in team sports has declined in recent years for several reasons, including family income. The gap is especially pronounced in low-income families, where children are half as likely to play sports as kids from upper-income homes. That's according to research from the Sports and Fitness Industry Association. Many wealthier families can choose to pay to play, enrolling their kids in expensive travel leagues. Coming up, we talk to nonprofit think tank, the Aspen Institute. Its Project Play focuses on building healthy communities through sports for all children. First, where you live impacts the ability of some families to even become involved in youth sports. The programs may not even be offered. That's what Connecticut Public's Jacqueline Rabe Thomas noticed as a parent in Hartford. She joins us first on Zoom. Jackie, welcome to the show. Hi, Lucy. Now, you're a parent. You've also covered children's issues for a long time. So from your personal perspective, when did you start to notice the shortage of, of sports programs for your kids to participate in? In the winter of 2019 um, was, you know, my kids are, are relatively young. And so that was really when they were sort of coming of age where I was like, I should start getting them involved in some sports. And so um, started signing them up for sports and um, the the sports that were are, were offered are really present, pleasant in Hartford. You know, they're, they really teach the kids to love sports, you know, they, they're, you know, um, sort of like practice like um, programs. And so, you know, you put a bunch of kids in the field, you teach them the fundamentals and and really get them inspired to want to play sports. And so my kids got the, the sports bug, you know, they really, really <laughs> like sports. Um, but then when it came time to try and find some leagues for them to sign up for, you know, have some refs, umpires, um, you know, uniforms, um, and, you know, take it to sort of the next level of, you know, rec sports. Um, I found that there wasn't anything for my kid to, to sign up for. Um, and, and part of that I think was because of sort of the hodgepodge of, you know, you know, you, you got to know a guy to know a guy to where to sign up. And so I started to navigate through that. Um, and so missed a season by the time I figured out which guy I needed to know or which program was there. Um, because the Hartford Parks and Rec Department, when I, you know, my gut instinct was to call there and find out where to be directed to, um, they, they don't run sports and the sports programs in Hartford and, and they don't, they didn't direct me at least where to go. And so um, missed, missed that season. Um, the pandemic hit. So, you know, I took off a year of, of even thinking about doing um, <clears throat> sports. I don't even know if sports were available that year, even the, you know, the love of sports program. And then tried again um, the following year and, and found out that there there wasn't anything again. Um, and so that's sort of where I've been at for the, the last couple of years. 
That's really frustrating. And you called the right place, I would assume. I mean, most places people start with their local parks and rec, but in the city of Hartford, they don't organize sports teams for the kids, Jackie? No, they um, they outsource it out. They contract it out. I don't know how common that is. Um, and so, you know, I just put out like a Facebook or or tweet of like, hey, where do I go for sports in Hartford? Do we really not have anything? And um, was directed to Active City Hartford and the Police Athletic League in Hartford. And so um, signed up for those programs. And like I mentioned, you know, those programs are doing great work. They've really got my kids excited about soccer, about basketball, about boxing. Um, but there's not, um, you know, the league sports, like the rec sports where, you get to like have a team you you know you have a lineup of when you're gonna play um you know you have a schedule um i found out that for soccer it starts at age nine in hartford for league but that's a travel league um, so it's not even a rec league um, so we're gonna venture into that once my kid hits fourth grade um and then for t-ball um it filled up really fast so we missed the window to to sign up for it um, and so, you know, going, my kid's going into third grade and he still hasn't been on a, a team despite my best efforts. There's a lot to be said for being able to play on a team in your local community. So without these options, are you looking at town leagues and other places, Jackie? Yeah, um, unfortunately it breaks my heart, but I signed my kids up for, um, out of in the suburban districts um, nearby that that border Hartford. So in Weathersfield and West Hartford, my kids will be playing soccer next year. Why is it so important for you to have your kids involved in team sports, Jackie? You know, I grew up with soccer and I grew up with baseball and I grew up with basketball and it, you know, it's how I, you know, build it, built a community. It's how I like hung out with my friends outside of school. Um, you know, I also it taught me that it's okay to lose every once in a while. Sports can still be fun just for, you know, being healthy and being out there and, you know, trying your best. And, um, you know, I was never really good at sports. Um, I'm not sure if my kids are, will really be good at sports, but I think it, you know, being involved in sports really can teach your kids a lot. I think it taught me a lot of, about sort of just being out there with your friends and, and playing and, and just trying your best. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. As we talk about youth sports, we'd love to hear what your children's experience has been in your community. Uh, Jackie, putting on your, your reporter hat for a second, uh, when we think about um, the programming that's offered in Hartford, you know, why is it so limited? So I've covered income inequality for years. I've also covered segregation for years um, and housing segregation. And so, um, you know, it's hard for me to sort of put off that reporter's hat when I see what's going on in Hartford of um, on the things of priorities for Hartford. Um, I can understand why, you know, having rec sports might not be top of the list um, as far as funding priorities go. And so, um, you know, in the suburbs, it's, if you just look at the websites of all the offerings that they have compared to Hartford, um, it, it sort of paints a really clear picture and a tangible um, experience of what the differences and the disparities of what's offered to kids here versus, you know, just one neighborhood over. Mm -hmm.
Again, we're talking about youth sports and how the approach can be very different depending on where you live, like in a city like Hartford or in the suburbs. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, for another perspective, joining us now is a longtime football and swimming coach in Hartford, Coach Harry Bellucci, teaches at Hartford Public High School and is retiring this year. First off, Coach, congratulations and, and welcome back to the show. Thank you, Lucy. Appreciate that. So when we talk about, you know, the attraction to sports, what children get out of sports, you know, you've been involved in youth sports and coaching for, for many years. You know, what have you observed in the city of Hartford when it comes to encouraging kids uh, to play on a team or even having the opportunity? Well, when I, I grew up in Hartford in the south end of Hartford. And back then, the park department provided basketball teams, uh, swimming teams, uh, a, a couple of little leagues were all little leagues were everywhere in the city back then. And over the years, it just seemed to dissipate. And and I'll tell you, for me, it made a big difference because I think sports uh, gives you early uh, entrance into goals. Right. I want to make the team. I want to try to be the starter. And once you start setting goals for yourself, I think everybody knows you need goals in order to move forward in your life and anything. That's that's what it's all about. And I think sports are a really early entrance into being goal oriented in your life, which is I feel is really important. And um, and I think now that we're at a point where that the park department doesn't really offer any activities, uh, we have seen, you know, charities, 5013s start taking that over, including Brian Gallagher and Active City. Um, uh, Hartford Powell, which I'm on the board of directors of, a CFM Foundation, which is my family's foundation. We just held a football camp uh, for mostly inner city kids around the state with 300 uh, participants at Colt Park this weekend. So b- playing sports, being around positive role models all the time is so important to youth. It, it literally changed my life. I can say that 100 percent. Mm. When you talk to parents in the city of Hartford and there are limited options, as Jackie even mentioned, you know, what are they telling you? Well, it's it's frustrating. I, uh, a lot of things go like, in, for instance, in West Hartford Park Department, which I uh, my family grew up in West Hartford. My, all my daughters grew up in West Hartford. All the, the basketball leagues, the soccer leagues, youth baseball, everything that the park department is in charge of is run by parents. The, the park department gives you the fields or the gym and then or the and the parents actually are the coaches of the team. So actually cuts down on costs a lot. But, you know, that's mostly the place where you get your introductions to sports, right, to the park department. And then you move on to travel and then you move on to premier. But in Hartford, you know, a travel team is le- uh, less expensive than a premier team. But you're talking literally thousands of dollars, not even counting the travel. My daughter played uh, premier soccer and we were in Cape Cod and New York, uh, New York, Long Island. We were everywhere up and down the East Coast. And, you know, for under-resourced families in Hartford, that's that's really not an option. We did reach out to the Hartford mayor's office for comment. We we did not hear back. Uh, but I'm, I'm also curious, uh, Coach Bellucci, uh, when you mentioned the costs associated for parents that need to look elsewhere, um, <clears throat> I would assume also the competition uh, to even get a slot for your kid to play on the team, that's fierce too. 
that, that's another whole level. I think uh, as far as City Hall goes, I know that uh, Councilman Nick LeBron and Jimmy Sanchez have worked with Pal in order to get him some resources in order to be able to expand our program. And actually, uh, Active City is now working with Pal uh, because Active City got a grant from the city to try to expand to girls softball and 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 other aspects. But you know, the big inequities when I get the kids in high school. You know, I see a, a, a young lady in gym class and she looks pretty athletic. And I said, you should try out for softball. Well, I've never played. And now they're sort of afraid to play because they don't know anything about the game because they've never, you know, b- b- been in front of it. So it's we we get kids on most of our teams that have zero experience playing any sports. And we sort of have to try to convince them. And. You know, it's not fun to go out every week in a softball game and get beat 25 nothing or 20 nothing. It gets discouraging. And it's, we're not looking to win state championships, but we're looking to be competitive. And I think getting more youth sports, especially uh, uh, girls' youth sports in Hartford, I think is so usually important that we need resources to be able to get more kids involved. I mean, that's just the bottom line here. You can join us 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live as we talk about youth sports. Valentina in Farmington's calling in. What did you want to share, Valentina? Um, I just want to share that I, too, have kind of struggled to find sports for my kids um, and not out of not knowing where to look or where to find them, but in terms of being able to afford them. Um, Club sports are so expensive. (laughs) Um, And thankfully, you know, through grandparent support, we're able to do that. But um, in terms of the programs that I've been able to find, um, my kids are biracial, my family is black. And um, we are our biggest sport is volleyball. Um, And my daughter is 11. And one of the first things that she said to me, you know, when we showed up at tryouts, showed up at tournaments, like, Mom, why are why is there no one else here that looks like me? Um, that's not an unusual experience for her to have in Connecticut. But um, it was a reminder for me because having grown up in Connecticut, I don't even think about that anymore. I'm used to it. Um, But having had that experience and also, you know, the sense of community and the personal development that my kids get through sports is just, has been so huge. Um, I'm really hoping and trying to start a volleyball club here in Farmington um, that really focuses on that personal development and sense of community um, in addition to like striving for excellence and having that community that does that with you. Um, And part of the thought there is that I would like to see, (laughs) I would like for my kids to see more kids that look like them. Um, I would like for hopefully kids from schools in, in Hartford to be able to be introduced to the sport and also to be able to be introduced to, um, to Farmington um, and what things are like out here. Um, yeah. Well, thank you, Valentina, for, for sharing that with us. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677. Coach Bellucci, I'm wondering if you can respond to what Valentina shared. And again, you know, this idea that, you know, that you have to go outside your community at times to find opportunities. And that is a big issue. And back again to the cost of it, as Valentina said, it's the, the cost is prohibitive to our families and for our kids in Hartford to be able to get exposure to a group of kids in Farmington or Avon or Weathersfield would just make 
the world a better place, never mind. And they it, and they all get to know each other. Now it's not like back I when I was an athlete at Buckley, I never knew any kids from Hartford Public High School. I mean, we just didn't mix. But now through social media, all these I went to an All Star baseball game last night, and all these kids knew each other from all over the state because they talked through. Twitter and, and Instagram and all of that things. So if you can get, get those kids together on a playing field, they'll become friends, even though they're rivals in a sense, but they'll contact each other. They support each other. And that coaching football, I really see it explode uh, on social media. And it really, it, it makes the world a better place. If, if kids know each other from the surrounding towns and in Hartford and, and they see those opportunities, it's, it's, it's something that, has to be done. And I think it's something that there are charities in Hartford that are really working hard to make that happen. That's too bad that the, the charities are the ones that have to make that happen. Uh, when, you, when you just compare uh, Hartford to the suburbs uh, that have parks and rec departments that are robust and also volunteers that are able you know, to coach these little league teams and these local sports. Uh, Jackie Rabe Thomas is still with us. I wanted to, to read a, a tweet from uh, a listener. Anthony writes, how do urban kids going to far-flung magnet and school choice options even have time for sports with a one-hour plus bus ride on each end of their school day and possibly no ride home from after school activities. He goes on to say, we've really messed up our education system with these bus rides, disconnecting kids from both their school and home communities. Uh, Connecticut's economic and racial segregation has a lot of interconnected negative impacts. How do you respond, Jackie? So um, I live in Hartford, but my kids do go to a magnet school and um, I them to school every day but I, I hear the point about people do have to spend a long ride on the bus many people do um, I will say that um, it does sort of open my eyes to what other people and other communities are getting for their children you know um, when my son goes to school and talks and, and comes home and tells me about you know the epic baseball game that the kids in the class had in Weathersfield um, you know, and I'm like, man, I <laughs> there wasn't space on the team here in Hartford for him to have a similar story like that. Um, so I think it also sort of opens the eyes to children in Hartford about potentially what services or what programs they're not getting available to them. Um, but just having the time and space to play sports because of those long bus rides. Um, yeah, you know, my son is in the police athletic league. Um, uh, he does the the boxing on three days a week um, but we can only really get to it once a week because of uh you know commutes and it being on the other side of Hartford from where we live and and so there you know parents are busy and so sport participating in sports is a commitment um but it is one that you know I think many parents would probably avail themselves to okay I want to fit in one more call before we head to break Eula is calling in from Hartford Eula go ahead Yes, uh, my name is Eula Dotson, and I grew up in Hartford, and I've been involved from from 1968. I started as a college student. So when I first started, we had all the different things that you're talking about, the different, like the basketball teams, girls, girls sports. And I think what has happened over the years, we had a more active community that made sure we had money in the recreation department to do these activities. So I think when, you know, people talk about it, but they don't, they're not about it. That The first thing that's cut is recreation. So you have to have more activity or more people coming to City Hall or calling their representatives to say, look, we need this because kids need to get bu keep busy. 
So I think that's one of the problems. We don't have enough active people putting pressure on our city council. Well, thank you, Eula, for calling in. Coach Bellucci, I'm going to let you have the last word. Uh, can you respond to Eula? I think Eula makes a good point. I mean, we, we're having a huge problem with, with, with youth crime, especially stolen cars, because those kids need something to do. You know, every day I'd run down to the park to make sure I made my uh, park department basketball practice. And then I'd leave there and then I'd run over to Goodwin Park Pool to get my swimming practice in. My whole day was involved with the Harvard Park Department and making sure that I got to that activity. And it was so well organized and and it made a huge difference when I got to high school. I had a lot more confidence. And um, I think we are trying. I think there are 501Cs trying. Um, and the city, it did help Active City with a, 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 a nice grant in order to uh, outsource the, these issues. But I wish we could return to the days where the Park Department provided every single part of the city with activities for kids. Again, that's Coach Harry Bellucci with Hartford Public High School, who's retiring this year after 42 years as an educator. Thank you so much for your time and perspective today. Thank you, Lucy. Also here on Where We Live, Jackie Rabe Thomas, who's a Hartford parent, also a Connecticut public journalist <clears throat> who's covered children's issues for many years. Jackie, thank you for your time as well. Thanks for having me, Lucy. Coming up, most kids quit sports at age 11. We find out why after the break. You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. If you played sports as a kid, did you have fun? That's not always the driving factor behind getting youth to play a sport. Look no further than the professionalization of youth sports. Parents with the means are able to pay for extra training and camps and travel leagues, all with a goal to help their child eventually get a scholarship and entry into an elite college or university. Joining us now with more on Zoom is John Solomon, Editorial Director with the Aspen Institute Sports and Society Program. Its Project Play is its flagship initiative focusing on Building Healthy Communities Through Sports for All Children. John, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me, Lucy. You can join us as well, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I mentioned that stat. I believe the Aspen Institute, through your research, finds most kids quit playing sports by age 11. Why is that? Yeah, most often because the sport just isn't fun anymore. Um, the parents are under pressure, right? That they're spending thousands of dollars a year, travel expenses, taking up a lot of their costs, a lot of their time. Um, and kids can, uh, can recognize and see some of those pressures too. And it, it stops being fun. Um, often, um, too often, a lot of kids are, are specializing in one sport at very early ages, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, meaning they're playing one sport year round. Um, and it used to be, and for some kids it still is, but at least for me growing up, you would play, you know, say soccer in the fall, basketball in the winter, baseball in the spring. Now there's this incredible pressure on kids and on and families who believe this as well, that they have to play one sport year round. So that becomes a lot of costs, it becomes a lot of time. And then at some point, um, for some kids, it, it almost sort of turns into a, a job, so to speak, that they that they have to perform and it's just not enjoyable. Maybe they're not getting playing time. Maybe they don't like their coach, um, but it just stopped being fun. Mm. 
you know, I'd mentioned the cost at the top of the show. And even when we think about when kids, maybe, you know, if they're able to have uh, participate in a program locally through their parks and rec, you know, as they get older, there's this division that happens and, uh, you know, where, um, you know, if you're not considered elite or, you know, really good that, you know, they just end up falling out of the sport while the kids that are, you know, show a natural talent, you know, they're the ones that end up continuing. The parents are able to send them to the travel leagues. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about that division, why that happens, John. Yeah, it's sort of, we call it the upper upper out model, meaning you either move up or you sort of get forced out of, of playing youth sports. And it happens at younger and younger ages. Um, unfortunately, our system is, is weeding out kids at young ages based on income and ability. Can you afford to have your child play um, sports? And um, does your child have the ability to, to make some of these teams as well? It used to be, as we you heard from some of your guests earlier, uh, the p- local parks and recreation leagues would provide that local, affordable, quality, uh, community-based play. That's changed in the past several decades. It's been going on for a while, in part because the chase for the college athletic scholarship. A lot of parents think that this is the way that they have to um, navigate the system, and that is putting their child through travel sports at at young ages in order to be seen just to make their high school team, much less the very long odds of getting a college scholarship. And so as more and more families who have more money and more time to volunteer coach or to volunteer leading, you know, leagues or organizations have moved to the travel and elite type sports, it's really taken away a lot of resources and capacity from the local parks and rec leagues and is we heard earlier from your guests, uh, parks and rec departments often can be one of the, the first departments to get cut during difficult financial times. Mm. And when we talk about these travel teams, that's a whole nother industry, John. Can you shine the light there? Yeah, I mean, it, look, it, the youth sports travel industry is estimated to be about a $19 billion industry. It is um, highly commercialized uh, in the U.S. Um, there are a lot of people uh, making a lot of money um, off these events, whether it's uh, sometimes coaches, um, tournament directors, uh, club organizers. Um, the, you can have families spending tens of thousands of dollars a year on their particular sport. The cost to travel, the cost for hotels, the tournament fees, the team fees, equipment, and it, and it all adds up. So, of course, that is pricing out a lot of um, children who don't have that opportunity, who can't uh, commit to that, the time or the money. And then, as we mentioned earlier, they don't have that quality, local, affordable opportunity to fall back on as well to continue to play. So it's it's really sort of a double whammy for for people who can't afford it. You can join our conversation as we talk about youth sports, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to take a call from a listener in the Waterbury, Hartford area. Soup, you're on with us. Hi, thank you. Good morning, everyone. And what did you want to share? Hi. um, First of all, excuse me if I break up. I'm going to keep it very brief. I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, we're all talking about a very important issue as far as the development of our kids uh, with sports being a a basis. Um, I'm a dad and uh, a, a lifelong athlete, basketball player, skateboarder, baseball prodigy. Um, I basically coach all my daughter and my stepson's teams. Uh, I'm a Waterbury Pal basketball coach. And um, basically 
My daughter is 11 years old, and um, she has actually threatened me with quitting playing basketball, which which basically scared scared me to death. And I kind of yelled at her for it or whatever. <laughs> I might not have, uh, you know, been too lenient or whatever. But I just wanted to express that I feel in today's world, sports and different things uh, the kids do that is away from the phone is essential to building up their self-image and uh, their confidence. And I just don't understand where they would find um, – where they would find the opportunity to build themselves up if it weren't for youth sports and different activities like that. Um, I drive about four hours a day for my kids' education. We started off in Hartford, and uh, basically we, we go to uh, the Arts Academy in Bloomfield. Uh, so now I'm in Waterbury, and I literally drive an hour to bring my kids. I'm on my way home now. I drive an hour there, an hour back, and then I pick them up in Hartford. But we, in the evenings, we definitely make time to make sure we make our practices and stuff. And there's no expense that I wouldn't do to make sure that my, my kids have an opportunity to have these experiences. Otherwise, I look at them and they're just kind of like, they're chilling too much. They're on the phone. Like, they're just tick-tocking left and right. And I just want to express to every family, no matter what income bracket you're in, it's imperative that we find ways to boost our children's self-esteem. The world is not going to do it on its own. Right. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for the thank you for your call, Soup in the Waterbury Hartford area. I wanted to have our guest respond to what you shared, John Solomon with the Aspen Institute. Uh, what do you think about what he shared as not only a parent but also a longtime involvement in sports and also a coach? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I, you make some good points about self-esteem. I mean, the, the one thing that I would suggest to the caller and, and really all parents, and this is our number one strategy when it comes to getting more kids involved in youth sports, is ask kids what they want. What what do they want out of their sports experience? And it sounds kind of simple and easy, um, but unfortunately, a lot of adults, whether it's parents or coaches or, or league organizers, don't. But if you think about it, it's really rule number one in any business, and that is know your customer. So, you know, video games, esports, other forms of technology have exploded in popularity among young people in large part because they provide so much of what kids are looking for in their experience. You know, action, freedom, uh, competition, inclusion, connection, personalization. And oh, by the way, you don't have an adult looking over your shoulder, shouting instructions or critiquing you, you know, on every move. But yet the world of youth sports continues to be created by and largely for adults. So that drives the professionalization, the over-specialization, the hyper-competitiveness. So I would challenge you know, parents out there and sports organizers to really center the voice of youth at every step of the way, you know, empowering kids to you know, feeling, feelings of ownership that last long after they've you know, grown up and, and played sports. 
You can join us at 888-720-9677 or share a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Soup was talking about, you know, the, the long time they spend in the car commuting. And so when we think about cost, that's one barrier, but also convenience. You know, how do we make it easier for families to engage in sports, to have their children engage if that's what they want, uh, that's convenient, where you're not spending hours in the car and, you know, thinking about the high cost of all of this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, I, I think there are a lot of parents out there who do want um, more local, affordable, um, quality programming. Um, I, I, I talk to a lot of travel sports parents and many enjoy it. And many are like, why are we doing this? You know, why are we spending five days a week, you know, on this? And it takes up our, you know, we don't can't sit down as a family for dinner and all of our vacations, our tournaments as well. So it, it, it requires in some part um, parents speaking up and feeling empowered to speak up, uh, s- such as conversations just like we're having here about what it is they want out of youth sports, what, it is, what, what they want their children to gain from it. Um, is it the wins and losses and trying to obtain an athletic scholarship? For some parents, it may be. Um, but I think the vast majority of parents know all the benefits that can come from when sports are delivered well. We know research showing that active kids do better in life. They're uh, less likely to be obese. They're going to score higher academically. They're more likely to go to college. They have low, le- lower levels of depression, higher levels of self-esteem, and it becomes cyclical throughout um, their, their life. And then they ultimately can become parents who um, share some of these messages as well with their children. But that's the conversation I think that we have to be having and that parents need to be having as well and speaking up of what they want their child to get out of this sports experience. Joe tweeted, you know, not to mention the financial pressure of college, which looms large for parents. So can you blame some of them, uh, John, who are thinking about, you know, this might be a way for my my child uh, to get into a, a great school by getting a scholarship? No, absolutely. I mean, colleges are, <laughs> the cost of college is crazy. Huh? I'm starting to think about that as well with a 15-year-old. Um, the reality, though, is that it, and this is not to say that the kids and families shouldn't try for college athletic scholarships. It's just how much time and money are you going to put into it? Some of the some of the amount of money that some families put into it could be put into a college savings account and, and earn interest that could help just as much uh, and increase the odds of, of your child being able to attend school. It is long odds of getting a college athletic scholarship. And even if you do get it, it may not be a, a full ride. It could be a partial scholarship. Um, that said, absolutely, there there are there are for for many families, um, particularly in lower income households, the athletics is viewed as a way out into a, a better life. Mm. And before we. Have- break, you know, uh, with all the research that the Aspen Institute does, uh, John Solomon, again, who's with the Aspen Institute Sports and Society Program, you know, what more can be done to make sports more equitable, to bring these opportunities to all children, including children in middle and low income households? So I think some of it is, is like we talked about having some of these conversations and, and having public officials be more aware and understanding of this. And I, I think some more are. Um, because coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, that really showed the health disparities that occurred for uh, people of color, people in in lower income um, communities, um, and real disparities in terms of the type of healthcare they get, and just their access to, you know, parks and and physical activity and sports. Um, So that's that's the conversation that that we need to be having is, 
is investing more into affordable programming that's local, into parks and recreation departments. Uh, Montgomery County, Maryland, which is near where I live, um, recently during the pandemic invested about a, a one and a half million dollars into more recreational programming for underrepresented populations. And so that's the, that's the type of ideas that, that we can be doing, investing in local quality and affordable programming. And it has to be quality, I think is a key thing. Otherwise, you're not gonna get some of these travel sports families to come back to, um, to the, the local parks and recreations. You're hearing John Solomon again from Aspen Institute Sports and Society Program. Uh, they do great research, deep dives into uh, sports and, and how it can make for healthier community. We'll be sure to link to some of those uh, reports uh, at where we live. John, thank you for your time today on the show. Sure. Thanks for having me. Now, we've heard that resources are a barrier that can keep kids from playing sports, but also keeping them engaged is another challenge. Coming up, we talked to 241 Sports. This is a Connecticut-based program that introduces children to sports and physical literacy. We'll find out more after the break. You can join us, too, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR, or share a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we've been focused on sports for kids, opportunities in communities. We heard from a listener who tweeted, in the town of Seymour, town soccer ends at age nine and the only option is travel. This blew my mind. I remember playing town soccer into my teens. What about you? You can join us, 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. With increasing costs and limited spots, fewer children are playing sports and many aren't getting enough physical activity. Uh, 241 Sports hosts programs around the country to give children the opportunity to sample multiple sports with a focus on play. To tell us more with us on Zoom is Steve Boyle, who's the executive director of 241 Sports. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lucy, and thanks for uh, hosting this important conversation. I'm glad to be here. Now, you're headquartered in Connecticut, but you're doing work across the country. You have an affiliation with the Aspen Institute, uh, who recognized the, the, the program's focus on play. So tell us about, you know, what made you start this organization and what are you observing? Yeah, so the short version of our story is that my now 25-year-old daughter, when she tried out for the local travel soccer team, was told that she was the number one prospect. And then within a few minutes when we had shared that she had some interest in lacrosse as a nine-year-old, we were told she couldn't even be on the team because she was interested in another sport. So uh, we, my wife and I, were both uh, local educators. I was a high school counselor and coach at Hall High School, and Carrie was athletic director at Watkinson. And Instead of just shouting from the mountaintops and tweeting about it, we decided to do something about it. And it was really just a moment of outrage um, as, as parents and as educators. And we had no idea that our life's too short for just one sport philosophy would resonate the way that it has and, and have so much impact. And we're thankful for the Aspen Institute. John Solomon just was on and you know, Project Play recognizing us because it gave us some, some wind in our sails to really spread our mission. So how do you do your work where you're, you're exposing children to more than one sport? And why is that important? Yeah, well, I think the reason, you know, it's been talked about before, it's so important is that, you know, if kids play only, you know, imagine if kids only did math, right? Or if they, 
they only did science or, you know, they had one subject a day or they were told they could only have one friend. We, we would never do education like that. Think about sports sampling as sort of the liberal arts, right? Where you, you got to allow opportunity for kids to try different things so that they know what they like. I think the problem sometimes is this rush to early specialization. We miss all of the late bloomers and kids, you know, we hear it all the time. I have a parent show up at our program and say, well, right in front of the kids, this is my athletic child and this is my art child. This is my math kid. And we're, we're so quick to identify kids at early ages that then they, they find themselves in these very narrow lanes and never have the opportunity. And imagine if somebody like Michael Jordan was never exposed to basketball. Obviously, he's a great athlete, but if he was never exposed, we wouldn't know his name. And so our, our philosophy is around giving kids the opportunity to discover through play-based opportunities that aren't hyper-competitive, where they can try out different things and then decide where they want to go do their focus. We heard earlier that hyper competitiveness is, can often take the fun out of you know why a child is first interested in a sport. I mentioned physical literacy. Tell us what that means. How you incorporate that into the program? Yeah. So the U.S. definition of physical literacy is the ability, the confidence, and the desire to be active for life. And the way we build it in is you know we really want to be cognizant of the fact that the physical literacy cycle, those three elements: ability, confidence, desire is really like a, it's a wheel, right? It's a cycle. And if I, I, you know, if I had a visual, I'd show it to you all, but imagine that you can enter that cycle at any point, you know, use, you know, dancing for an example. If, if you don't feel confident in uh, your ability to dance, probably at a party or a wedding, you're not going to get out on the dance floor. But once you gain some skill and you get some feedback, well, now you're motivated to continue to try to get better at it. And then you have more confidence to try your moves and whatever it is you're going to do uh, in, in front of a crowd. So we think about sports the same way, you know, especially in this generation of TikTok and YouTube and Snapchat. Kids are afraid of going viral. Like they don't they literally don't want to show up on somebody's video because they got dunked on or, or somebody did a move against them that made them look silly or they, they, they just, you know, there's a fear factor there that is different than in the generation we grew up in. And we have to be really conscious of that to give kids opportunities to try and fail because that's how you get better at things. Again, you can join us 888-720-9677 as we talk with Steve Boyle, Executive Director for 241 Sports. This is a premier sports sampling program. You know, something you said about, you know, the late bloomers uh, resonated with me. And I was thinking about how the pandemic uh, really <laughs> impacted us in so many different ways and, and how you've observed, you know, even that, that break that kids took from, you know, being on a team or even trying uh, to play sports and how that was, uh, you know, how people dealt with that, that break for two years and how do you encourage kids to get back into it? You know, interestingly enough, the, uh, the pandemic allowed us to rethink even our delivery of programming because what we were finding in it was that we saw more bikes in neighborhoods than we had ever seen before, right? That there, there was really an opportunity to uh, bring back neighborhood play, you know, it, uh, because kids were home all day. And so it was interesting in that sense that the thing we've tried to do in our programs now is to now not allow equipment, space, or numbers to be a hindrance to play. A lot of times kids will say, well, 
well, I can't play baseball because we don't have 18 people or I don't, I don't own a bat or a glove or whatever. And so in our programs, what we try to do is kind of old school neighborhood play either with your cousins or, you, you know, who, who, whoever you might have locally in the neighborhood to try to teach kids how to self-organize, how to pick sides. I mean, that's a lost art. They don't even know how to split up sides sometimes. How to use things like imaginary runners. How to use the equipment you have. Like in some of our programs, we'll use folding tables as nets, as badminton nets or uh, volleyball nets because we don't want kids to say, well, I can't play that sport because I don't have this equipment. So we're really trying to get away from, you know, this concept of you have to go out for travel or you even have to go out for rec in order to participate in sports. You can get better and have fun in your own in your own neighborhood. And that's I think that's an important thing for us to try to remember um, how to teach kids how to play where they live. I love that point. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677. Rich is calling in from North Haven. Rich, what did you want to share? Hi, I just wanted to give a shout-out to USA Hockey as an overseeing organization. Um, They not only are reaching out into uh, communities that might not be exposed to hockey a lot of times, and hockey is super cost-prohibitive, so... They do a great job with community outreach, but not only that, they encourage athletes who play hockey to play other sports because they believe better athletes make better hockey players and better athletes are born from actually playing lots and lots of sports. So this is my shout-out to USA Hockey in Connecticut. Um, I'm a coach here, um, so um, good job, USA Hockey. Well, thank you, Rich, for the call, and and thanks for coaching uh, out there. Uh, We just have a few minutes left, uh, Steve, and I I wanted to just uh, bring up again, uh, you know, the point that that Rich was making about finding different ways to encourage uh, kids to play different sports. So 241 Sports, how do you partner with local parks and recs departments uh, to offer these kinds of programs? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll give the same shout out to USA Hockey. Uh, you know, they're our national governing body for that sport, and they were the first to offer what's called the American Development Model, which is a, a version of long-term athlete development, and sports sampling is one of those pieces. And to your, to your question, Lucy, part of our job we have found is grassroots is where the magic happens, right? So USA Hockey was one of the first to basically say, look, we're going to give you some ground rules, but it's really going to be local organizations and partners. And we've been on panels actually with Ken Martell from USA Hockey, who was uh, sort of given credit for for founding that approach that Rich just referenced. And what we we have found is that it is one community at a time. You know, John and Harry and, and all the guests have talked about it today. Personally, I think the the places where we have had the most success is where the departments of education and the parks and rec departments uh, work uh, pretty well together. I think, and this is partly my long-term school counseling hat, that our schools should be our rec centers. You know, think about our middle school kids. They're our most at risk. And they're they're at that age where parents think it's going to be okay for them to go home alone. But that's when they experiment with things. So my my advice would be if we can get our schools to be our rec centers, which means they've got to coordinate with parks and rec, let's not send our kids home from three to five o'clock. We have the best facilities at our public schools. Let's keep them there and let's either 
you know, train up our teachers to be coaches or bring coaches in to be quality educators. Because I've always said more coaches ought to teach and more teachers ought to coach. And if, if we can build public-private partnerships or get Parks and Rec and schools to coordinate together, I think we could impact so many more kids across this country, whether it's urban, rural, or suburban. You've given us a lot to think about. Thank you so much for your time today and the work that you're doing. Steve Boyle, Executive Director for 241 Sports, a premier sports sampling program. We'd love to have you back, Steve. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, Lucy. It was great to be here and appreciate it. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible. Thanks to Gina Matruda, who is our technical director today. We'll be back tomorrow. Mm-hmm.